you don't understand the true opportunity of the business until you get to a, another plateau. I mean, you work your way up to this level and then you can see things differently. You have a different perspective, different view. And I think a lot of that applies to a lot of the AI world because as, as it gets smarter, it's going to make us get smarter. And so then we'll, we'll have a different vantage point that we're viewing it from uh, sometime in the future. The Rational View is a weekly series hosted by me, Dr. Alan Scott, providing a rational, evidence-based perspective addressing important societal issues. Hello, and welcome to The Rational View. I'm your host, Dr. Al Scott. On this episode, I'm going to be continuing my series on artificial intelligence, the promise and the risk. In this episode, I've got an interview for you, and uh, I hope you'll enjoy it. I'll be talking with a futurist. And a futurist is someone who looks at the trends of today and the technologies of today and predicts what's going to be happening in the future and the impacts on people. And part of this will be, of course, artificial intelligence. Certified speaking professional, futurist Thomas Frey continually pushes the envelope of understanding as part of the celebrity speaking circuit by creating fascinating images and understandings of the world to come. He has been fortunate enough to headline events along with some of today's most recognizable figures. Tom Peters, Nobel Peace Prize winner Mohammed Yunus, former CEO of General Electric Jack Welch, former New York City Mayor Rudy Giuliani, and former World Bank President James Wolfenson, to name a few. As the Executive Director and Senior Futurist at Da Vinci Institute, he works closely with the Institute's senior fellows and board of visionaries to develop original research studies, which enables him to speak on unusual topics, translating trends into unique opportunities. Before launching the Da Vinci Institute, Thomas spent 15 years at IBM as an engineer and designer, where he received over 270 awards, more than any other IBM engineer. Thomas, welcome to The Rational View. Yeah, thanks for having me on. Thank you for being here. I really appreciate you coming on the show. Could you share a little of your background with our listeners? How does one end up as an artificial intelligence futurist? <laughs> yeah, it's uh, it's never a straight path. It you know the this is like the last thing I ever thought I'd be doing growing up. I uh, first of all I didn't even know what a futurist was when I was growing up. Um, that term was not commonly used. And uh, being a speaking professional, uh, boy, I was scared to be in front of a crowd of people. That uh, I, I always envisioned myself being kind of in the background, but uh, somehow I gravitated towards this. And uh, typically, I, I go to eight to 10 countries every year. Last year, though, I had my wings clipped because of COVID. Uh, so I started doing a lot more things virtually and just like virtually everybody uh, had has to rethink uh, the business plans, business strategies. And and so it's it's a, quite a bit different. Now, I've, I've been thinking about COVID as being such a demarcation point in society. It, there's there's the pre-COVID world and there's a post-COVID world, and and it's vastly different. And and so you think about Hollywood uh, pre-COVID uh, content, pre-COVID movies and television shows, all of the uh, the things that were important to us in 2019 are suddenly 
uh, it's different. In 2021, we have different motivations, different goals. Our definition of a hero and success is different. Our definition of villains and all of that is changing. And so I, I think we're we're waiting for kind of a next generation storytellers to to kind of help us define uh, the path ahead. Now the world seems in flux, and we're, we're I think where everyone's wondering what the new normal is going to look like, or if we're stuck in this normal uh, and for how long. Right. It's um, yeah. I'm I'm not sure there's anything normal about it anymore. Uh, uh, we're we're going to try to settle into some routines, but uh, it's, it's like we took all the, the the game pieces of life and put them into a cup and shaken it up and dumped it out on the table. And now we're trying to figure out, oh, what does this mean? Well, how's this new rule set work here that we're dealing with? Um, it, it's it's fascinating and um, scary and exciting all at the same time. Indeed, indeed. Let me focus this a little bit. I'm working right now on a series of um, podcasts looking at artificial intelligence. Uh, and I wanted to look at you know the promise of artificial intelligence and the risk of artificial intelligence. Uh, so I've looked at, in some previous podcasts, I've looked at you know what are the cool apps in artificial intelligence? What are people doing? I've done some research trying to learn about you know what are the what is our, where is artificial intelligence at? And, and then the question is, where is it going and what do we have to be afraid of? And, you know, we've had warnings from Stephen Hawking's and Elon Musk that he, one of the biggest risks to humanity is, is the evolution of artificial intelligence. So as your perspective as a futurist, what do you see in the near future of artificial intelligence? It seems to be invigorating a new era of industry, and everyone's feverishly trying to incorporate it into their product offerings. But what do you think is coming in the near future? Um, there's there's quite a bit big difference between um, what we're working on today, which is tends to be narrow AI, and the the artificial general intelligence is um, is the one that. Uh, uh, people are concerned is going to get away from us. Mm -hmm. um, we we interviewed um, uh, this Dr. Roman Yoplansky out of University of Louisville, Kentucky, and he's um, he's working intensely on trying to well uh, save humanity. <laughs> he's 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 a very funny guy. Talk to him. He's he's um, incorporates a lot of humor in everything he says, but um, but he's a fatalist. Um, so I've never seen a funny fatalist before. I mean, this is this is different. Uh, but so near term, I think uh, AI is going to give us the tools to do all kinds of things that we've uh, we can only dream about today. Let, let me give you an example of um, uh, a future type of gaming uh, application that I think is going to be pretty fascinating. Um, this is what I call the Groundhog's Day first date application. Um, so uh, dating apps in the future, uh, they're going to take you through a series of maybe 25 questions and you give all the information and it creates um, an AI about your personality. It uh, kind of intuitively begins to understand you. And so uh, it creates half of the dating application. Um, 
uh, equation, so to speak. And the um, the other people have their profiles with their their AIs in it. So you could go in and simulate a first date, and you could go through it uh, 33, 34, 35 times to get it right before you actually meet the other person. Um, is that something you would want to uh, go on a first date that many times to try to get it right? Uh, <laughs> <laughs> for some people, that's what it might take. Um, Wasn't that a Black Mirror episode where they had artificial intelligences just dating each other and for specified periods of time? There was something like that, yeah. Another one, you know, I, I was playing around with this idea of fantasy football and I think we're going to have fantasy politics in the future. You know, it could be like a uh, a drinking game. You're sitting around a table and you say, "Okay, well, let's 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 test out this kind of legislation," and then based on people's voting records and the personalities of people that are elected to office, the AI can then take people through these simulations of what how this would get voted on and what this legislation would look like and and who would vote yes and who would vote no on it and uh, what would pass and what wouldn't. And if you change the wording on it this way or that way, uh, does that make it more acceptable? That's scary. <laughs> <laughs> but I, I actually see things getting refined to that point. Um, and, uh, and, and so... Yeah, it it's yeah, it is scary to think that um kind of our future is gonna be defined by drinking games that uh we're playing around with AIs with. <laughs> well, I could see companies like uh Google or Facebook having the sort of data that you'd need to do this sort of simulation with just about everybody who's on these platforms. Yeah. Um yeah, it's I, I think it's reasonable to assume that they're close to that right now. The AI that we're working with today is still pretty crude. I mean, um, some would say that we're still in the Egyptian sundial stage of um, artificial intelligence. Um, it's, uh, it, it's evolving quickly, though, and, um, and it's learning from itself. Um, that's, that's the part that gets scary. One of the questions I've uh, I asked the researchers in this area is that uh, you know we can't um, it's not possible to create any perpetual motion machines things that just uh, take on a life of their own and live on forever. So uh, why are, why are we worried about uh, artificial general intelligence that's going to somehow figure out ways for itself to survive and uh, continue on forever. Um, so I'm, I'm, I'm still kind of working through some of those issues to see what the real answer is. Um, I mean, the second law of thermodynamics says everything's going to degrade over time. And, uh, and so, uh, whatever kind of artificial life form we create, um, is probably doomed to failure somewhere along the way. There, I think there's there's lots of good stuff that we can uh, develop in the meantime. And, it, it, you know, in a lot of businesses, you don't understand the true opportunity of the business until you get to a, another plateau. I mean, you work your way up to this level, and then you can see things differently. You have a different perspective, different view. And I think a lot of uh, th that applies to a lot of the AI world, um, because as, as it gets smarter, 
um, it's going to make us get smarter. And so um, then we'll, we'll have a different vantage point that we're viewing it from uh, sometime in the future. Now, I'm not going to say that there's, there's nothing to fear, nothing to worry about, because things always go wrong. Um, I mean, we have a transhumanist crowd that, that believes that we're going to be able to start solving all the, the human problems, and we're going to be able to transition humanity to a whole new level. Uh, we, have, we have that crowd there. The other crowd thinks that the life forms are going to be good without humans. So uh, <laughs> I, I, I'm still a fan of humans. So, <laughs> Yeah, I, I'm, I'm on that side as well. I mean, <laughs> it, it's definitely interesting to see how our artificial progeny will, will live on potentially without us. Um, but, you know, I, I like to think that humans will, will be around as well. Well, right. And um, there, there's a lot of interesting questions that come out of this. I mean, we're, uh, we're, we're going to be able to advance healthcare in lots of unique and different ways. And um, uh, are we going to start cloning people? Are we going to start uh, creating designer babies? Um, these super babies are going to grow up to be superhumans. And then, um, and then we create sporting events based on superhumans competing. Are we still going to want to pay attention to superhumans competing against other superhumans? We don't. We don't know yet. That for sure. Um, and so, how does the world change when we uh, when we become bigger, faster, stronger, smarter? I, I would aspire to become one of those guys, but I think I'm past my prime. So. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, me as well. <laughs> so, okay, that's interesting. You uh, you are more on the um, the optimistic side, I guess, in terms of AI is going to help us and it's not going to destroy us, or it's not going to get away from us. Well, not in the short term, anyway. Um, I th I think I think we're safe for at least ten years here, but I think during that ten years, I think we're going to. Um, it's going to provide us with a whole new perspective on where the true dangers are. I mean, th right now, there's a lot of dangers with AI, uh, putting it in the hands of devious people. That's the biggest danger right now. Um, we, ha we have a lot of uh, people who should should never have AI in their hands. <laughs> it should not be part of their toolbox. Um, you know, the the hackers, the, the ransomware people, the... Uh, the darknet crowd there uh, you can create intimidation engines you can create threat engines we can um, blackmail people it's not blackmailing one at a time suddenly you can blackmail a uh, hundred thousand people in a day um, and then wait for the money to roll in uh, is is that where where we're headed? Uh, that's that's not something I want to. I don't want to live in that world. So they, it becomes something of an arms race because um, you have to create the the super good AI to to defeat the super bad AI, and uh, and so is the good AI more powerful than the bad AI, <laughs> uh, and and that becomes. 
Um, it comes the plot for a whole bunch more movies coming out sometime in the future. <laughs> and this is just the um, the AIs that work over email and over over the internet that you're talking about as well. I mean, we also, you know, people, when they think of artificial intelligence going wrong, they think of the, the Terminator movies or RoboCop or stuff like that. Is, right. is that something that we should be worried about as well? It's hard to say. I mean, things are going to go wrong in ways that we never anticipated. I actually wrote a, wrote us a doomsday scenario about the day that Google died um, talking about how, how hackers just came at it from every possible angle and, and destroyed um, all of the data and all of the, the files, including all the backup uh, storage files along with it. And then, and then in the end, it was just turning off the switch, and that was the day that Google died. Hmm. Um, I wrote this scenario uh, several years ago, and uh, we 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 dug it out for a video recently, so it <laughs> it actually seemed seemed much more logical today that uh, this could actually happen. And what are the implications of such a, a a thing happening? Yeah, well, how how dependent are you on big tech today? I mean, uh, it doesn't have to be Google; it could be Microsoft, it could be Apple, it could be any um, social media company. I mean. They're developing a lot of enemies um, in in the process, and so at the same time, we're we're much more knowledgeable about what all is going on, the inner workings, all the uh, all the underlying uh, weaknesses. They're they're uh, kind of the choke points in every system. I mean, you can you can find uh, a place where. It's it become a key inflection point where you can just apply enough pressure and and things start to fall apart. I I think that that's uh, uh, that's a realistic thing we should be uh, afraid of right now. We've become so dependent on it. I mean, if um, if if the big tech just collapses right now, then suddenly, I mean that that takes down our banking systems, our money systems, and. I mean, it really takes us back to the Stone Age. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, I, I mean, just take take the example of a giant solar flare. Yes, that's exactly what I was thinking. Yeah, that's the equivalent of an EMP blast, um, and 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 so then just everything electronic gets uh, kind of fried to the core, and and so so we're left with trying to rebuild society. Um, off of uh, uh, from a very primitive standpoint, we don't we don't know how to think like that anymore. I don't know how to function without a, my my phone in my hand right now. I've, I have a calendar on there, keeping track of everything that important to me in my day. But uh, suddenly that could become meaningless. Or suddenly the GPS constellation goes down. Yeah, we we had a solar flare like that in. Was it 1859? Um, this is the the one that fried all the telegraph lines, and there there's all the stories about how the telegraph operators actually uh, uh, burned their fingers, burned their hands um, uh, with this giant solar flare, and it was it was actually captured by at, through an observatory um, in in uh, England at the time, um, and so that. That type of thing, I mean, could happen again any minute. Um, just all of a sudden, everything that we've come to rely on is suddenly just gone. I mean, then we 
we sit around and scratch our heads and think, okay, now how do we how do we provide enough food and shelter for people? How do we how do we keep the electricity on, keep flowing? I mean, how do we keep our houses warm? How do we keep uh, yeah, or keep people employed? I mean, it it becomes just a a massive shift in thinking just instantly. And civilization has become finely tuned and adapted to working with its set of within its current environment. And you look at um, you know big stores or big uh, sales um, places like Amazon, and they don't have huge warehouses in every location. They have one central warehouse somewhere, but everywhere else they have these tiny distribution centers. And there's there's just very little buffer if that. Uh, distribution system gets messed up for getting the products where they need to go. Right. I think I think civilization, you know, we've become used to having our tools, and I don't know if there is sufficient emergency preparedness for a case like another Carrington event. Yeah. Um, yeah. That. Um, I mean, just the the COVID. Um, era has has taught us that our supply chains are not very durable. Um, that we've uh, we're we've we've kind of muddled our way through this, but it's been really messy, and and that's that's minor compared to what it could be. Um, uh, like a Carrington event could just take it to an entirely new level. Um, that's uh, and I'm sure that. Uh, the governments have gone through and created different scenario planning things that uh, are uh, they have on some shelf somewhere. Uh, this is what we do in case this happens. I uh, I don't think they're realistic because because we're evolving so quickly. Uh, I mean, if you wrote something in 2019, it doesn't apply for 2020 or 2021. I mean, every every tool that we have that we're working with probably doesn't have a life expectancy of more than ten years. Um, every piece of electronics that you're you're working with there. I mean, I've got microphones and I've got lights and I've got keyboards and computers and everything. If if I'm using anything that's ten years old, that just seems like it's prehistoric. It seems so old and outdated. Um, and so we're we're constantly uh, relying on this renewal process of new and bigger and better stuff all the time. And 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 what happens when that stops? Mm-hmm. Uh, I I think we we I think we need to work our way through those 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 challenges. I, I don't think we can dwell on them, no, because um, we also have to uh, do what we can in in society today. So I can see the, all of the things that are coming down the pike. I can see all the emerging technology. What well, what we're we're not looking at is all of the the wild card disasters that could come out of the woodwork. So you would then favor, based on that philosophy, you would favor for artificial intelligence to push ahead with developing this as much as possible and see how it can help humanity, right? Uh, and and learn as we go. Effectively, there's no there's no need to put the brakes on. You're not afraid that this is going to get away from us in the near future, that we can keep up with this uh, and build uh, incrementally uh, and improve the human situation. And it's and and I can see that you know it's it's got a lot of potential for positive uh, results. Uh, 
I'm, I'm not even sure that it's possible to put the brakes on. I'm, I'm not sure that, um, I mean, technology is moving. Uh, it's an un, like an unstoppable force, if you will. It's, it's, it's got its own inertia. It's got its own momentum. It's got its own uh, drive chain, so to speak. It, it, it's moving with or without our encouragement or without our blessing. You know, it's, we, we've created all these systems that, I don't know. We have these pots of gold out there for the the true innovators. We have these. Um, we we set up a society where this is really driving things forward. But I think we have the ability to steer it in certain directions uh, to focus on this problem or focus on that problem. What do you? I mean, you you are as a futurist. You're aware of many trends and and how things are going. What do you see as the most disruptive? force uh, in in society right now or in our near future what what what's your money on as a, as a disruptive force the most disruptive technology in all history is going to be the driverless technology um that's that's going to reach out and touch the lives of every person on planet earth over the next coming uh coming decades here in the u.s we have right around forty thousand deaths a year from traffic accidents that that'll be driven down to zero, but we have you know four and a half million injuries a year from uh, car accidents. Um, that that works out to right around half a trillion dollars a year that we spend just on repairing people after car accidents. That works out to one out of every six dollars in the healthcare industry disappears over time. Um, uh, just nobody's sorry to see it go. Uh, because we want to keep people alive and healthy. We don't want to have the car accidents, but, uh, but it does change things. I mean, it changes the, uh, the rule books of life, so to speak. <laughs> um, but it's a big game changer. Every aspect of our lives, the tow trucks go away, road rage goes away, seatbelts go away. Um, and just the, this, um, uh, the way we travel from city to city changes dramatically when we can be active and productive. Driverless mobile businesses are going to change the way uh, retail happens because rather than having a retail storefront that you spend a lot of money to drive traffic to, you go to where the crowds are. If you have a driverless mobile business, every time there's a softball tournament, anytime there's a parade on Main Street, any gathering of people, you can just get your business, drive over there and set up shop and do business. Um, it's a radically different way of thinking about things. Rather than going to an office, you can have a driverless mobile office. Um, you you want to hold a convention, you can have you can summon 500 driverless mobile hotel rooms to show up in some remote location and you can have an event there. You can have uh, driverless bars and robotic bartenders um, and, uh, and entertainment out there. It's, <clears throat> it becomes a radically new way of, of viewing the possibilities for the world. That's interesting. You don't realize how pervasive a technology is until you think about what happens when it's different. Well, yeah, the driverless technology is not just going to affect everything on the surface of the earth. I mean, it's it's the 
driverless drones that are flying in the air. They're going to have delivery drones. We're going to have things that float on the water that are driverless, that go under the water, that uh, even boring things are tunneling, digging underground. Um, we're, we're going to, it's, it's going to invade our lives in ways that we never anticipated. One thing that I think we're seeing as a result of increased automation and increased artificial intelligence in the workplace is that the value of certain manual jobs has gone down and that, you know, your, your repetitive labor is being replaced by robots. Um, and I'm sure there's going to be surprising uh, areas where AI will take over uh, the brunt of the work. So you, we're seeing a change in the um, in the valuation of jobs, and people are struggling to make ends meet. and And it seems like the um, the benefits from all of this automation are being concentrated in a few people in, that own these robots. And there's this this decoupling, I guess, as people have put it. Um, there's a bit of a fallacy in the, in the way most people are looking at this. That they're they're viewing it from the standpoint of it's us versus them, um, and it's it's not us versus them. It's us with them. It's it's not us against the AI and us against the robots. It's us working with them. These things are additional tools in our toolbox. So if you think about what a person can accomplish in a lifetime today. And then think about what they can accomplish in a lifetime, just even 10 years from now. It might be 10 times greater. And once, once we have the ability to accomplish so much more in our lives, we're going to start more businesses. We're going to start entirely new industries. And, and the way I'm thinking about it is we create over 100,000 new industries in the next couple decades. And these new industries are what's going to employ all the people. Um, this is it is not a net zero game here. We, we have the opportunity to create much more than what we have today and, uh, and do it in, uh, far faster and quicker than ever before. So I, I get asked a lot, well, what are the jobs of the future? And, and I've, I've written quite a bit about this um, uh, but, but all of these, uh, these technologies, all these tools are going to need human support, um, uh, because we are, we're going to have to interact with them in lots of different ways and, and kind of managing relationships with people and customers and all that. That's, that's a uniquely human talent. Can AI do, do that? Yeah. Well, they can do some of it, but not all of it. Uh, not yet, anyway. A lot of these tasks or that the AIs and robots are being built for are labor-saving. So there's, you know, if if we have a certain level of basic needs that need to be met through uh, producing food and distributing food and building uh, shelter and, and entertainment and these, you know, basic levels... You need less workers, basically, to, to fulfill the needs. Maybe your your work week should be decreasing because of this. Why are we not seeing the benefits in that way of the automation that society has provided us? Yeah, that's been the promise all along is that uh, uh, 
we're going to have all this extra time on our hands when we have all this automation. We have all these devices, all these things that can do the work for us. So whatever gap we have in our um, uh, the, the the savings of time, we, we invent new ways to fill that really quick. Uh, it's, it's been that way throughout history. I mean, every uh, just inventing the automobile, I mean, suddenly we can we can uh, move around the globe much faster than ever before. See, see, in 18, 1850, the average transportation speed in North America was roughly four miles an hour, roughly um, the speed of walking, a uh, few people riding horses. That was basically the fastest you could go. So the average speed was around four miles an hour. Uh, 1900, uh, we, we had a few more cars were entering the pictures. We had people riding trains. Um, uh, the average speed jumped up to around eight miles an hour. And then 1950, uh, when you get to a lot more people riding in cars and um, uh, things started speeding up quite a bit. So where the average speed jumped up, it tripled to 24 miles an hour. And um, in 2000, because so many people were flying, um, the average speed jumped up to 75 miles an hour. Um, now, uh, based on that trajectory, by 2050, the average speed uh, of humanity should be somewhere around, I don't know, 230, 235 miles an hour. And, and then you ask, how do we get there? Because uh, if you look at all the metro areas, I mean, they're all congested. Their uh, traffic slows way down. But we, do, I mean, we do have uh, the the planes flying around. So, so we have. We create these additional capabilities, though. I mean, if I can be in five cities in an hour versus five cities in five days, I mean, that's uh, that's a remarkable change in my capabilities. Uh, that, uh, yeah, so how do we leverage that? Um, uh, just think about this, the laws of exponential capabilities, and uh, you'll, you'll start to... to uh, get your mind wrapped around where the true opportunities lie in the future. So we've covered a lot of ground here. This is, this has been very interesting and, and a lot of uh, cool ideas on, on where the future might lead. And I think it's a lot of, uh, it opens up a lot of areas for thought as to what things could change significantly. I think that's maybe the key the key thing that you're that you bring to this is that you know you've thought about these things and the impacts that most of us probably wouldn't see are maybe clearer to you in terms of how day-to-day life might change or how these things might impact us and I, i'm really you know i hadn't thought about you know the the driverless cars as the biggest impact uh of of, of our future of our near future that that really is a, a, a an interesting paradigm shift. Do you have people come to you and ask for, you know, how am I going to get ahead of the curve? How do I, what, what are the, what are the things you're advising people uh, to do that, that will help them to, to stay abreast of these coming changes? I've made this prediction by 2030, the largest company on the internet, bigger than Apple, Google, or Facebook is going to be uh, an AI education company that we haven't heard of yet. Um, yeah, because I see that as the biggest opportunity in the online world where nobody's quite cracked the code for it. Uh, as, some, as soon as somebody figures it out, it's going to scale very quickly. 
so there's uh, there's there's various industries where you can just start taking them apart. I mean, how how's the food industry going to change? This um, we're we're becoming a very uh, nicheified world. I mean, we're going to create digital images of ourselves. We're going to create a digital twin of our body, and and we're going to know how any food that we eat is going to affect it. Um, we'll know that in advance from past history of how it's uh, that food's affected us in the past people hate me when i say this but i um, I, I actually think the the ultimate food in the future is going to be our super processed food not uh, i mean everybody pushes towards the all natural stuff but i mean if you if you do a total scan of your body and you know what the absolute best food is and you just mix all these ingredients together and blend it all up that's the super processed food and you drink it and and voila, you turn into Superman. Uh, <laughs> that sounds great. <laughs> I, I'm on board. Yeah, I want that. <laughs> so we're getting to the end of our, our time here. And uh, I appreciate you coming on and chatting with me about the future. It's been uh, really interesting. And uh, I've learned quite a bit. And hopefully the listeners will take a lot uh, from this discussion as well. So, yeah, if they want to learn any more about what we do, um, you go to futuratipodcast.com or uh, futuristspeaker.com or uh, davinciinstitute.com. And uh, I have a couple books out, uh, but yeah, feel free to get in touch with me. You can get in touch with the, me through those websites. Okay. And uh, one final question for you. Uh, what's your favorite sci-fi? The one one I really like a lot was the, I, uh, the, there's a movie called Next. Uh, it's a Nicolas Cage movie, um, and it's 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 actually uh, a Philip K. Dick movie. Uh, if you're familiar with Philip K. Dick, he lived in the fifties and sixties, and most of the blockbuster sci-fi movies were all written by him. So, which is pretty, 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 pretty ironic, having lived uh, seventy years ago. <laughs> but that that one, I, I, I don't know. I think it's extremely well done, and it's quite fascinating. Lots of interesting plot twists along the way. Okay. Well, thank you again for your time, and uh, I appreciate you coming on the Rational View. All right. Well, thank you. If you're enjoying what you're hearing please consider visiting my patron page and becoming a patron of this podcast at patron.podbean.com slash the rational view.